Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to-follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. I am so excited about today's episode. I'm here with Kasha Stewart, director of product management for Beach Body On Demand. We have an action-packed episode full of great advice for how to get the job, how to learn the job, how to love the job. Let's get right into it. A lot of times in tech, and I've been on both sides, and I think because I came from an art background where visually it was, what is your aesthetic? What does it look like? What are you trying to, I mean, constantly it was like, what do you, what message, what are you trying to translate? What does your art mean? What is your voice? So even though I'm not necessarily putting a photograph or a painting together, I still think about the product in that term because someone is going to look at it that had, was not connected to it, that may not read the copy, that may not follow the instructions, that may miss the navigation bar um, and all these things and what does it mean to them. And there are the whole reasons. I mean, a lot of times we can get very um, in love with ourselves that we're technologists and that we're driving the future and that people are beholden to us and you know I mean I, I can see both sides of it and I think it's pretty funny because at the end of the day I'm like I'm building a website or an app that could I could also kill in a month or two from now if it does horrible or terrible and um, I want that person to be excited about it or be interested and play with it just like I would so the consumer is my my focus like I think about that more probably than anything and I'm definitely like I hate to say like all these cliche like user-centric or but I think about them because I have to remove myself because when you work in tech you can become extremely biased and especially when you work so close to it and you work with designers and everybody's like patting themselves on the back and then when you get that first round of analytics reports and you realize that nobody's using it and then you have to start putting the pieces together like that's product management right there. <laughs> yeah, like oh. oh guess what we actually don't have any users <laughs> we spent the last three months arguing about what color of magenta right was going to be. And then if this button was going to be to the left or right. So that is what, I mean, product management to me, if I really peel back all the layers is personality management. I mean, I do have a project to deliver, but I'm dealing with all these big teams and um, characteristically some big personalities, especially coming from entertainment. And everybody thinks that they know best what's for the project, and I have to kind of be the voice of reason. Like, I don't want to call myself mama, but sometimes I'm like, okay, let me hear your, let me hear what did this one do? What did that one do? Okay, yes, 
I understand. And you have to be, um, there's a level of diplomacy that comes along with that. Because even though I'm definitely user-centric and I'm design, I mean, I can be on Behance all day and just falling in love with people's portfolios and looking at cool fonts and color designs and animations. I have to think about, like, does this make sense? Would this view user know, like, who a friend of mine who works in insurance? She has no clue about any of this stuff, or nor should she. She just has a goal that she wants to use this, and she's trying to accomplish it. And if she's distracted by the design, then that's a fail to me. I don't care how much I love it. I don't care how much the designer is. So that's a hard place to be in, but it's also the place that I'd rather be than so in love with myself that none of my products are successful. In, in my product management class, we do a lot of hands-on activities, right? Mm -hmm. It's the learning is the doing. But I always uh, like to add a layer where within every activity, there has to be an appointed product manager. Yeah. So the students are at once learning the concept, whatever we might be focusing on in that particular class, but then they're also, I think, learning the real job, which is now you have a bunch of people. Yeah. They're all talented. They all have different backgrounds, and they all think they're the most right. Right. And maybe you also think you're the most right, and your job is this integration piece, that, that mama, and also having to tell somebody no. Yeah. I'm the queen of no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at first I was, like, afraid. And then now I just, like, you know, I, I, I feel like I should have a sign, like, in my office, come in so I can say no, you know? And then <laughs> that's a whole other issue when you get further along in your career because you can just, it's like now when you hear anything, like, the word no appears in my head before because I'm so driven to launch. Um, but, yeah, you have to, I, I'm a good, like, I love to, like, listen to people because I like to listen listen and just understand what they're really saying and I know that I don't know everything and if I do then there's a problem and if I hear something that like doesn't make sense or isn't necessarily for the product um, whether it's from like a resource or financial but there's something there that I'm like you know what this is not necessarily I don't agree a hundred percent with the idea but I can um, take this into evaluation. And a lot of times people just wanna feel like they're contributing to the pot. And especially in a tech place and coming from entertainment where you have marketing teams that are not even really sure how this gets made. And sometimes they live in this idea that we just press a button and it happens. And then I have developers that they wanna take, they wanna feel empowered and not just feel like they're reading requirements and then cranking out you know, code for something that they're not even connected to. So I like to listen and hear all that, but then I still have to make that decision at the end of the day based off my experience, based off my gut, based off analytics, based off of what the business need is. Does this make sense for the product? Is this right? And does it, And if I say no today, does it mean that it can't be a yes in the backlog? <laughs> That's just what you tell people when you feel so bad when, when you say no to them for the hundredth time. Yes. But, uh, you, there was something that you told me that kind of stuck with me, and I'm hoping you'll speak about it here, with respect to working at a product place and having this question of, can I really do this job if I don't use this product, if I right. don't love this product, right. or I don't think it's cool? Talk about your point of view on that. Yeah, I, a lot of times, I and I'm a thinker, and I can like analyze all day long till the cows come home, but some of the basic questions when I'm building out a product, even just when someone comes to me and they're like, hey, we want to update the app, and we need the app to do X, X, Y, and Z. 
And then I might ask, well, okay, well, what's driving this? You know, are there like user complaints, especially if it's an established project or if it's nothing, if it's completely new, they're like, I want to see dragons come out the desktop and, you know, shake my hand and tell me to watch this television show. <laughs> and I wish that was a fake request, but <laughs> um, nothing. That's a, that's a true project you're saying. <laughs> yeah, right? like, and, and I have to sit there and then I listen and everything. But I think about this because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm creative. I am like, I want to be like the queen of cool. And I just think like, is this cool, Kasha? Like, if you didn't work here, would you touch this? Would you care? Would you be invested? And that's a hard place to be in because a lot of times maybe the answer is no. But that's okay because I'm like, well, I'm not necessarily the demo. But I still have to think in the mindset of someone who maybe is less tech savvy, maybe who is just trying to get their footing together, maybe is trying to get ready you know, for a family reunion or a high school reunion or whatever it is. So take myself out of it. So it can't always be like the coolest, shiniest thing in the world, but I can also put a little bit of those finishing touches in the design that make, that make it feel like it's a, it's a product that I would be proud of you know, and that I would want to use. Like if I have this problem, is this one of the contenders that I would like to use? And it's hard sometimes when, you know, you're being driven, especially in entertainment, um, coming from that world where these ideas were coming from a department head and they don't know how technology works, but they know that they want this thing and you have to do it. And that's when it gets hard and you have to go to a designer and explain this idea that really doesn't make any sense and then you're going to have to make sense of it. And that is that that is product management 101 in my book. Like I take very little information, probably no kind of end result, and then make it malleable and make it into a product and a viable product. And that's what I do. But a lot of times I do think like, would I use this? Like, is this fun for me? And then I have to, I go back and forth where I'm like, okay, this is not about me. This is about like what I'm committed to for the consumer. Right. Yeah, I think it's a, a lesson for all would-be and maybe current product managers out there. This is not the role if you want it to be all about you. Yeah. Because it's actually not all about you. No. It's all about wrangling the different people mm -hmm. and getting them to be bought in. Or we talked about recently, you know, rowing all together yeah. as a team. And if you want it to be all about you, you should be the founder. Right. And, and that's okay, and that's okay to say that. But a lot of times I'm riling the team, and I have to keep, you know, and especially when I come from big teams um, and then come from to smaller teams where it's more of a startup environment where you can see the dev going off to one side or you see everyone frustrated. Part of my role, which is not written in a job description, it's not on the wall, is I want this product to deliver and if I need to rile my troops up to get it done, then that's what I need to get done. Like, hey, we've had some roadblocks, we're going to do this. and a, big part of um, any products or things that I've seen, especially when a launch is going off the tracks and there's more code problems and there's more bugs than you would ever want to imagine, you have to be that, that, that clear vision, you have to be that leader, and you have to be that voice of reason that's telling people that it's going to get done, even if you're doubtful yourself <laughs> that it is, but you still have to kind of, and that's when I get back to like owning the product. You have to own it because that's what I'm going to deliver. And you have to make those critical decisions like what can I live with if this goes out to launch? And then what can I realistically fix? 
you're not in entertainment anymore. No. So let's... Let um, go of entertainment. <laughs> let go of entertainment. I, we're here. We're at Beachbody. Yes, we're at Beachbody. <laughs> I could just spend the rest of the conversation saying Beachbody. Okay. Ta- tell, tell our listeners, first of all, we're actually at Beachbody On Demand. Yes, we are. So tell our listeners who might not be familiar, yes. just like super quickly, what is Beachbody and then what is Beachbody On Demand? Um, Beachbody, if you know any of our fitness programs, we're a lifestyle brand. Um, we are the creators of several programs for libraries, for consumers wanting to work out. We're a direct response company. You might have seen us um, in our infomercials. That's how we became our namesake, um, Beachbody. And we create programs such as P90X, Insanity, T25. We have a slew of, ter- of, of super trainers. Tony Horton is probably our most recognizable. I just saw him at the airport. Oh, wow. Was yeah, it? I was like, I think that's Tony Horton. Yes. <laughs> I really wanted to just like get up in there, but I thought, no. And it's funny because it wasn't here in it LA, was, it was in Toronto. Oh, wow. I was just going back to visit, and then I found out he was there doing an event. That was my big celebrity moment. So many celebrities in LA. I'm like, there's Tony Horton. Yeah, he's. I mean, we're we're billion dollar company, billion dollar revenue generating company, and um, it's been an amazing journey for me to get here. And what started probably about two years ago was Beachbody On Demand, which was to take our library and our catalog and create a streaming service. So in some ways, we want to be able to service our consumers as obviously tangible video items become more and more obsolete and the market is changing. We want to have a streaming service that keeps up with people that want to work out daily, that want to change their workouts, that want to have flexibility, and also want to test out new products. So that's the team that I'm part of, which is Beachbody On Demand, which is in Westlake Village. So have you been here... Because the product is fairly new. Yes, When it did is. you launch? Uh, we launched, I want to say about a year and a half ago. Okay. And yeah. so were you part of the team? That... I wasn't part of the team. It was okay. a small team. It was probably about, I want to say, a dozen people. And our CDO, which is Bill Bradford, um, came. He actually is a former Fox vice president for Fox.com, and he started um, this division at Beachbody On Demand. And they started simply with just having a few of the program libraries, video player, and we've grown out the product, and we're growing it every day and making it more reliable, um, more user-friendly to better serve our, um, our community. I'm a customer. Yes. Just want you to know. I'm a relatively new customer Uh because I didn't actually know. That it existed. Yeah. So is that on purpose? Um, It was a soft launch. We definitely offered it. um, If you had purchased a package through DVD, um, you can opt in. There were certain digital marketing campaigns. Um, One thing that are challenges is... Um, people know the products, they may not know the brand Beachbody. So they know Tony Horton, or they know Sean T, or they know Autumn, and they don't know necessarily that we're part of a global um, product, we're part of a global brand. So that's one of the things as we work um, on just having so many products out there that we're streamlining everything under into one uniform brand. Right, and so what's interesting is Beachbody On Demand is in some way, I mean, it's its own product. Yes, it is. You have your own office, you're way <laughs> far away from Beachbody. We're run like a startup, yes. We're run like a startup, but, and so there's a vision for this product. Yes. There's a roadmap for this product. Yes. And at the same time, there's so much legacy. Yes. With the other brand, 
how is it negotiating? Because when you're a startup, yeah. most of the time, it's this is our new idea, this is what we're doing. Right. But you guys are sort of inheriting a bunch of legacy bits and saying, make this work in a new configuration. Right. And it's definitely, it's a big challenge because you have all these legacy APIs, you have all these legacy kind of pro, um, protocol and processes that just not not necessarily support us for our vision so we have to what we always talk about is our technical debt you know we have we have hired some very smart people to kind of figure this out and um, as much as I'm like kind of pull the plug and start from a clean slate that's not always the best in a business that has you know five or six years of these kind of systems that are dependent on each other or this goes here so we're taking it piece by piece to integrate it but still at the same time continue on to make sure that we hit our product um, goals sometimes we have to scale back or we have to put a pin in stuff just because we have to wait for other infrastructures to either catch up or they have to be augmented or they have to be sunset themselves with a product that's live in market, and, mm -hmm. and I want to, I'm talking a little bit about road mapping yes. here. So, you get to a big launch, you're out. What is kind of the sprint planning rhythm here? Are you immediately going to kind of the backlog and then starting to work on refinements and new features, or is there a, a defined period of let's just do nothing? and collect some data for a while. How quickly are you, how continuous is the integration, I guess? Is they, the well, for my products, I will speak, um, I launched a reality, Beachbody also launched a reality show um, a few weeks ago, and we're in episode nine and, and 10 right now. And Wait, what's the format? I'm sorry. Tell <laughs> us about this. It's called, so you are in entertainment. I am in entertainment again. I, I keep trying to hold that back, but it, it doesn't go away. Um, we launched a site called the20s.com, okay. the premise is 20 trainers in their 20s competing to be the next Beachbody super trainer. So the they, next Tony Horton. The next Tony Horton or the next Sean T or the next Autumn. Yeah. Um, yes. So super fit people put in a house in the Hollywood Hills if you think of early real world and kind of cameras turned on them and um, bit of competition and seeing if they have the personality and what it takes to be part of the brand. So is that exclusive to Beachbody On Demand or where it, do people watch that? They, if they have um, cable and they um, have Pop TV, um, they can watch it on Pop TV, which is former um, TV Guide channel. And they can watch it exclusively on Beachbody On Demand. Every Monday is when we launch a new um, a new episode at 10 a.m. Oh my God, who yeah. is going to be the next and super trainer? Actually, October 17th, the public, whether you've watched the episodes or not, or done the workouts, um, it's open to vote on help us determine who's going to be the next super trainer when it's down to the final three. So a little bit of my old, um, you know, voting American Idol <laughs> in there, and um, people can vote and see if they can pick who they would like and they have about they can vote up to five times a day and they can also hashtag a vote on Facebook so you created a reality TV show but that's I mean that's just one product yeah. sort of within the within the, the system right you're also I mean your role is what director of product management right you're the boss um, I, you're my boss <laughs> I, you're somebody's boss somebody's boss yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> it's yet to be determined. I mean, I'm, I'm the boss of me, so yeah. that's, that's a start. It's the best boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. That's the easiest one. Um, yeah, so I get assignments, and I try to take, um, being from, like, I came from, I was heavy in product management and now transitioning to more of a director role. And that's more on the strategy side. So from inception, instead of being a project kind of handed to me and like figure it out, now it's from the perspective of like, okay, what is our strategy? What is the business goal of this? Where does this fit into the product roadmap? And back to again, does this make sense for our consumer base? you know, all of the QA testing that we've done. But one thing I did want to answer um, was that question about, you know, how do it, once something launches, how quickly am I iterating? A lot of times I have, you know, and I'm a perfectionist at heart, and which can be a good and bad thing. Um, you know, a lot of times I have like a, when you go through QA and you start getting down and down closer to launch, I have a, I have a set of books right and i'm like okay there is nothing as perfect there's nothing as pixel perfect in my mind and it, there's never this sense of done like oh i'm done that launched don't ever have to worry about it again after something launches i'm usually trying to fix the things that i couldn't get in before pre-launch and these may be things that necessarily wouldn't be a deal breaker from a consumer facing perspective but they're just an enhancement from like a ux like they will just make this process smoother or maybe it's changing an alignment of a button or maybe it's smoothing out the flow on mobile so depending on what it is i'm usually trying to get that into a sprint for the next two weeks and then as we start to get analytics that's when it's the real decision making and you have to put your product role hat on for real of what am I really going to fix at this point? Am I going to iterate on this product? Because part of this role is making those very hard decisions of, you know, I'm just going to let the baby be because the numbers are not matching and the level of effort, it's not worth it to go back and keep cutting and put it performing CPR on a site that's not performing well. Right. I mean, that's, that's such a hard thing talking about, you know, lean metrics. Even, even I'll use 100 PM as the example. We have very specific goals right now. Right. And of course, having a long tech background and the same, I wouldn't describe myself as a perfectionist, but I care about design and I care about usability and I look at the site every day and I think, oh, we really should reverse those buttons or <laughs> we should do this thing. And then I have to remember that's not related to your primary goal right, right now. But that's a hard part, yeah. not tinkering with it. And because it's not that it's not broken per se, right. it's just that it's not the most broken. Yes. And my own thing is like, my thing that I'm always thinking, it doesn't look right. Like, that's like, at the end of the day, I'm like, this looks terrible to me. You know, why can't I fix this? But I have these other things that are bigger fish to fry that I need to get done. And it could be from a back end, it could be from an infrastructure, it could be from like a CMS. And that's another thing that I'm, as much as I'm user centric on the front end, because I started in content distribution, I'm always, I'm kind of always leaning to that team that I want to make, I want them to have the flexibility to do their job as easy as possible. And if there's maintenance issues, if they're putting in content updates and they're not showing on the site, that's a that's a problem to me versus changing the text size. 
you know, and I have to make those decisions. And then if the numbers are starting to get lower and lower, then I really have to make the decision, am I going to fix this? Is this something that we will reuse again? Or is this that um, hard pill to swallow? This was your $450,000 life lesson, you know, project. And I've had those before and they're not fun, but there are, I mean, they teach you so much more than the ones that are great and that people are like blogging about or pinning to that maybe not necessarily even had anything to do with you, but the product is so good or people are so interested in it. They'll just take the site or whatever integrated, you know, marketing or that came along with it. How much, how much is the feedback that your team, you and your team are responding to coming from pure analytics versus customers that's kind of part one and I guess I'm curious about customer feedback in general in terms of are you going out and soliciting it or is it coming to you whether you want it or not it's coming to us whether we want it or not our our consumer base um, which I'm very proud of and very um, proud of the organization they're very vocal and they feel like and the brand itself supports that like you have a voice let us know if we're not doing something right i mean people still call in the customer service and that's how serious that the company takes it so a lot of the feedback now this feedback could be from beachbody on demand not necessarily a project that's related to me so that if that feedback we definitely have someone on qa i mean there's people that even answer complaints on i mean on Facebook down to figuring out like what is this user what is their platform did they make the iOS update that we pushed notification two days ago so there's we take all of those complaints seriously when it relates to a new product um, for me I'm gonna rely on the analytics if I don't have you know um, kind of any fires like hey I've tried to watch this and the video player keeps crashing or I've tried to log in and it keeps crashing but if I don't have those type of kind of urgent fires to put out then I want to see what the numbers are doing are people even engaged in the site are they watching the videos is anyone sharing about this and then that's when I start to in my thought process decide okay what what am I what are gonna be my next steps you know, as far as am I going to iterate on this or am I just going to kind of leave the product as is? And then, yeah, that, that's an interesting point. So how quickly, you know, is it let's just watch conversions for a week? Oh, man, we're not converting at the percentage right. we hoped. So then do you start going toward change or do you say, well, let's give it one more week? And, and this I, is I know the job. But. Right. I, I probably would say I, I want to see some type of activity at least in the two, first two to three weeks. Okay. You know, and then I start to feel like I start to, you know, take myself out of this. And, of course, it's my product. It's my baby. I want it to grow. I want it to do all these things. But how much marketing has been put behind this? Is this trending on any, any social platforms? And are we seeing a response or is it just, you know, likes and, you know, from people that are actually on the show? And if I start, if it's been a month and coming from television where they pull the cord so fast, you kind of, I mean, you kind of get the sense if something's going to do well or not. And if it hasn't picked up by that third episode, then it's the reality kind of sets in. Everyone's getting letters in their mailbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we tried. Yeah, there are there, are there emails or, or, or you start to see it, the placement of it just kind of shift 
from being in the first position closer to third or fourth or the rotation. And that's the real, I mean, a television is hard in any, especially for a broadcast, I mean, then to be a channel, a fitness platform and kind of offering this, which I think was very, is a very cool and creative idea. But it's like, we also have the struggle of like people um, not being familiar with our brand, but you know, maybe they like reality shows or maybe they are kind of hooked into the idea that there are these people in their 20s and, like, can they really do all this stuff? Can they make it? Hmm. What kind of product manager are you in terms of skill sets? Because you were talking before about compressions, <laughs> FTP. I mean, these are relatively technical. Yes. And then maybe also not to somebody who is deeply technical. They're like, Psh, yeah. FTP. <laughs> So when we talk about that that blend of business acumen, design experience, technical, marketing, all those things that can inform a product manager's resume, right? what do your levels look like? Um, they probably skew heavy on design and UX just because I still love that. I love tinkering. I love building stuff. And I forced myself, you know, early in my career, um, you know, for good or bad, I've had people tell me, oh, well, you're not going to understand that. Really? Yeah. You're not going to understand that. Do you think that's because you're a woman? I think it's because I'm a woman and I think it was I'm because... I'm going to flip a <laughs> I think it's because, you know, it's easier to tell someone that they're what they're not going to do than take two minutes to explain what it is actually that you're asking for. So queen of no, what did you do when you're sitting <laughs> I was, here? I was, I was kind of like, I was like, oh my God. In my head, I was like, I've been insulted. <laughs> what do I do? And this is somebody that was at a senior level. And, um, and, I, and I thought, okay, that's, you know, maybe, and I, and I thought, you know, maybe they're right. They're right today, but they're not going to be right tomorrow. And they're certainly not going to be right two months from now. And I am very resourceful. I know how to use Google. And um, so I I can get in a forum, get in a Slack chat, ask a dev, you know, um, help me understand this from a basic principle. Because a lot of what I do in my role is explaining what the process is or what the product is to people who don't, who have requested it, but don't even understand or even know what it's going to do. They know they want this thing, but they're not even really sure what they want or how it's gonna work. So the biggest role is that I have to be able to communicate with everyone from a senior tech lead all the way to someone who's maybe just a brand coordinator. And they're just like, hey, I just wanna see from a social standpoint, would this, would this be possible? So I never discount anybody's ability to understand something. But I have had people tell me, oh, you won't understand. So I took it upon myself to learn and figure it out. For a long time, I um, was in content, when I started at um, Disney with ABC.com, I was in content management. And, you know, I had come from post-production, so I'm used to kind of compressing files and like QAing stuff. And the CMS was archaic. It was a nightmare and I just couldn't understand like, you know, if you look at the hierarchy, and by the time it gets to this content producer, they're the last ones on the totem pole, but yet they have the most important role, and their tools are ineffective, you know? And I just wondered, like, why did they build it this way? And I'm, like, sitting there asking like questions, thinking to myself, like, why is it built this way? Why does it have to be so difficult? Because when something breaks, the content producer is the first one that has to kind of hear about it. Whether it was them or not, 
and they have all this responsibility, but they have like some of the worst tool sets to do their job. And so I kind of took that with me, even though I transitioned into product, that I want to make that person who's doing that, who doesn't necessarily have to be tech savvy, but they know that they have to fulfill a role of getting the content posted and launched by a certain time. That should be the easiest thing. And then they can focus on managing multiple sites or managing other platforms. But yes, I've had people tell me no and that I wouldn't understand. And that's okay. And you should be, and when someone tells you that, you should thank them. And then you should prove to them through your success that they will never say no to you again. And do you keep a little scratch paper? <laughs> it's like, I it's like checking your drawer and like, oh yeah, that guy. But I, I, I don't keep, I try not to hold on to too much stuff, like, because then I don't want to be bitter and I don't want to be like, I don't want to block the stuff that I need to focus on. But I definitely, it, it definitely goes back in a bookmark where I'm like, mm, that was interesting. I wonder why they said that. And then, um, you know, as you go further along in your career, you may have people tell you no or that, you know, you come from this background or this skill set. You know, APIs are still kind of a foggy place for me. I don't necessarily want to build APIs and I don't want to always be in, involved in like ERDs and figuring out entity flows. So many acronyms in product. <laughs> yeah. I had a student in my class whose product we do, they, the task is to conceive a product and sort of build it out right. through to the end. And the product was essentially an encyclopedia of product management right. acronyms. Right. Because, yeah, because, I mean, and then sometimes I'm in a meeting and I'm like, I have no idea what they just said. And then sometimes people use the technical language to keep the information and to keep their importance. Even if they're not necessarily what they're saying is true, you know, you have to be, you have to understand the language. You don't have to understand, like, I don't want to go back and start inspecting and reading code and looking for, um, reading each line of code, but I want to have an understanding that I can have a conversation with a dev and that they know that I'm, that I'm serious and that I'm involved in it. And not from a dictatorship, like, do this now, but that, hey, let me understand what you're saying and we always deal in truth and logic and code, so help me understand what is what is the blocker. Yeah, it's so interesting because, I've, I mean, in large part, that's part of the classic IT, mm-hmm. you know, the IT guy trope of, like, you're, you're not going to understand. understand. <laughs> and, and using using technology as a barrier, and that can mm-hmm. still be, even without that trope, that can still be a barrier to working with developers. Right. Like there's almost this club of, show me how serious you are, Kasha, yes. that you actually want to know yeah. what my world is. But the flip side of that, which you brought up, is the protectiveness of things, which I think speaks to, like, it's also a cultural kind of indicator that there's a sense of if I hold on to this, then I'll be important instead of, I don't know, being uh, an environment that allows you to feel safe and important as part of the team. Right. So how do you, as a leader, foster that kind of community? Aside from the gym here. Yeah. This is a true story about Beachbody that you guys are more or less mandated to work out. Not like you have to be fit, but like take a minute. Yeah, take a minute. Enjoy our gym. Enjoy some Shakeology and know the products. You know, know the programs that we create here. And 
it's not um, you know mandatory, but it's definitely encouraged, and you know you have the option to do that. If you choose not to, no one will frown upon you. But it definitely becomes like a family atmosphere, and you get into sync, and then you find yourself working out at least a couple times a week. All right. So, what about beyond the gym and the Shakeology? What is part um, of your fostering community? I mean, I try to. I try to. I feel like it's better to have friends than enemies. So early on, I'm a very social person, which is kind of um, I've noticed in my career a little bit different than the typical um, tech personality. And I definitely like to get in there and know something personal and not personal where like I know the person's life story but like what what is driving you why are you here you know like what what is the best part of this project that you want to work on it doesn't always work tech um, devs are devs and sometimes you can have great relationships and other times you don't but I have an obligation to my consumers to the business case to the product to get the best that I can and um, however I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do that so I like a lot of one-on-one. I mean, we have Slack, we have Jira, we have HipChat, we have so many means of communication. You Slack and HipChat? <laughs> well, <laughs> we do. Well, some some teams are on. All um, the cool kids are on one. And one the other one else is like, oh my God. <laughs> they're like, I didn't get the invite for Slack. We were no. on HipChat for a long time. And yeah. We just finally move to Slack. So it's just interesting. I mean, if Atlassian is listening in, it yeah. might be an opportunity to understand why are they leaking customers? Because it's a good product. Yeah, chat. it is. I think it's just, I think it, Slack took off and it became a cool factor. I think it has that cool factor too. We too. all just want to be with we always code. We always want to sit with the cool kids. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I with devs, I, I make it I make it my personality that I'm I'm here for the devs too. Just like I'm here for design and probably that's why I probably spend a lot of hours in meetings, but I want them to know I'm the face of this product. This is my project, but I want to hear from you. And so a lot of times again part of your role is campaigning and you're politicking inside of your own organization. And I think those are the keys um, that they don't teach you when you're like like no one kind of really taught me product management. It was like, here's this project, go figure it out. And you know, a lot of times people were saying, oh, you know, analytics, that's, that's too heavy. We have a whole team for that. Don't worry about it. You wouldn't understand it. Stop <laughs> saying that. And, and, that's, and that's okay because that's that person's issue. It's right. not my issue, but I don't have to let it be my barrier. And I can take that information and I'm be like, well, you know what? I may not understand it, but try me. I want to sit down and and understand this. What does this mean when you're saying this tag goes to here and this campaign campaign ID? And you know what? If you hear something long enough, it's gonna to start to sink in. So I would never let like a technical term, whether it's coming from a developer, analytics. I would never let something like that stop me. Just like I wouldn't let a personality of someone that's cut off or who doesn't want to, who wants to just be in code all day, stop me from having a relationship with them. You're gonna force them. <laughs> I probably am. <laughs> I really actually feel that. <laughs> you describe this as a startup, but I mean, there's a lot of people here. Yeah, How there big is, is this company. We're about, um, I think, about 65 people in the in the West Lake. Right. Yeah. And and how and many sort of all, like in your kind of immediate team? In my immediate team, we have about. Let's see, 
three um, directors and an executive director, and then two um, product managers. Wow. So yeah, pretty so big. Pretty big. Because this is the other thing about product management is the landscape will be very different. Yes, it so will. So how many people you have as direct collaborators, how many designers or developers you actually have at your disposal to work with, to get things done, how much of that work you're also doing as well as being responsible for the strategy. Right. Like the, the we talk a lot about the distinction between product management and project management is Project management is tactical. Yes. Product management is strategic. Yeah. But a lot of the times you kind of have to be in both. And yeah. And that's hard. It is hard. Cause, and, and we were definitely lean here. So when I started, I didn't have a project manager. But I also came from an environment at Fox where you didn't always get, it was like the look of the draw. And then maybe that project manager that you were allocated didn't, you know, we all have different styles of management. So I like, I'm very OCD. I want to know what's going on. I want to see my roadmap. I want to see a confluence page. Whatever bells and whistles that I need to make me feel good about the status updates, I want to see that. And not everybody, you know, someone may be more casual or maybe they like to be more connected to the engineers. So it really just depends. But if you know kind of a little bit of all those hats, you can wear them at any time. And, you know, I feel like here I'm the captain of my own ship. So... I may not necessarily know what every single engineer is doing, but I should at least have an idea. And I should have an idea of the overall like status of the pro- of the project. And if I get a great project manager, then more the merrier, I can like let that off my plate. I always um think of like product as like, you know, I'm focused on the product delivery where the project manager is focused overall holistically. Like I'm focused on, you know, this individual feature set, but that project manager is there to make sure that we work together to make sure that all the features are delivered. And that's kind of how I like to run when I work with a project manager. Like I don't necessarily always want to be giving them tasks that I can't do, but I'm like, hey, be the eyes that I don't have. You know, be the stuff, looking for the stuff that's two steps ahead of us. You know, if we're going to deployment, is everything ready on the branch release? Like, those are the kind of things that I see project fall into because those are always the things that I'm always, like, running behind, like, the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, did I do that? Did I say in the JIRA ticket that it was approved? Like, and then if I have that project manager that's communicating out to that other team, that offshore team, then it just allows me to then go back out to the brand teams and communicate them to let them know and they feel reassured and we're all looped into the process but that takes time it takes time and it takes definitely like finding your stride and finding the right personality match um, to do that because I definitely can get in a silo where I want to go off and do wireframes and I want to write requirements and then there's all these other little you're the first person in product management history (laughs) that said on the record I just want to Hole up in my office and write requirements all day long. Because I, 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 I used to hate it. I, I will say I used to hate it because it's like, oh, we got to go and do this thing and I'm going to whiteboard it and everybody likes to put a cape on and think they're that they're superhero. And then when you actually have to write it, it forces you to think. And I'm, again, I'm going to say coming from a creative background, I write stories and I make people up. 
So, I mean, if I was in a place where we had personas and we had done some type of character imaging, then that's great. But a lot of times I'm just thinking, okay, who is this person that's coming here? What does she look like? What's motivating her? And then that helps me, even if it's it's obviously fictional, but it helps me tell the story about what this user experience is and the why behind it. But that is personas. Yeah, it is. Say if we had it, is that because personas, this is kind of another thing that comes up a lot, is the difference between what we would all do in every product company if we were playing 100% by the book. Right. Or books versus what we actually have to compromise and sometimes that's we don't have the time or the resources or I don't have the resources like having a fully fl flushed out persona so my personas are definitely more fictional just based off I might have a light demo that okay we skew higher for women that are 30 30 to 45 so in your demo. You, that's, yeah. That's to be in your demo. Yeah, that's what no, we want. I know that you're taking care of my needs. Yeah, and, and, and I know that we skew higher with women. So then my user story is, is I'm going to make her female. Then I'm going to give her a name. And maybe I just have like a vision of why she's watching this show. So it's not necessarily fictional as far as like, okay, the numbers are there, but I don't necessarily have the pinpoint of like the geographic or how many times this users come in. We collect that data, but how do we, do we have the product support to go and then with analytics investigate and then create these personas? We're not at that point, but the framework is there. But in the meantime, I still have projects that I have to write requirements for. And for me, it just, if I, if I put myself in that place as that user, it just helps it flow about what I'm trying to do. It takes out, oh, all the fancy bells and whistles I should be able to explain it in a couple of sentences what of what I'm trying to accomplish what your users yep, that's right yeah what uh, so one of the the things for us here at 100 p.m. is our promise our value proposition mm -hmm. we hope is get the job learn the job love the job yes you know we're trying to inspire people to come join us yes. in product management we're trying to inspire people who are in it to not feel so alone yes. or in this idea that they're not doing it right so let's talk about those starting with get the job what advice would you offer for somebody maybe somebody is listening in yes. and going I would like to go and work at Beachbody on yeah. because that sounds amazing yes and they got to eventually get through you. Yes. So what should they do to be a great candidate? A great candidate, I would say research our current products. Be honest. I love it when people bring critical feedback and are honest with me about it because that's what I get paid to do is to figure out the holes and the problems. But also besides you know, just telling me the problems, let me, show me how you think. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we can all do processes. We can all get into Jira. We can write um, user requirements. Some of us can even wireframe, front end, back end, whatever. But I don't get a sense of who you are if I don't know how you think and what's the motivation behind how you would resolve things. And also have personality. I mean, a lot of this is people management and personality management. How would you solve something when someone tells you no? I mean, I'm usually 
the decision maker in some ways, but then I have a boss too. And if he tells me no, okay, well, am I going to fight for this or am I going to figure it out? Or if someone, another team tells me no, or they just refuse to do it, how do, how do I navigate through that? That's like the skill set that I really want to see because I can definitely teach someone or they can grow into managing the product the way that they feel is like best suited for them to get to their goal. But what is it that, how do they really resolve problems, interpersonal conflicts, you know, do they get involved? And then how do they grow their, their network? You know, I can, I have a, people that I've worked with, devs that I to this day love because we figured out problems offline after hours because we're just constantly cranking and pushing and you have to kind of be in it from a passion standpoint to do that and it's not just oh I gave you requirements go I threw it over the fence get it done yeah I I I share the sentiment entirely hard skills many of them can be taught Mm -hmm. but soft skills certain soft skills Mm -hmm. really can make or break you Um, and I think confidence by the way is one in this business because of all of the different Mm -hmm. people that you're you're steering but are there hard skills that, you know, if, if I were saying to you, okay, yeah, I'm already good at all that stuff. Right. People, no problem. Right. I can navigate any conflict. Um, but are there some deal breaker hard skills that it's like you can't, you're not ready for this job? Right. I would definitely say, you know, you should have some sense of technical like workflow of understanding how websites are built, um, understanding uh, process. You know, every organization has different process. I mean, we all, we all, we call ourselves agile or our version of agile here. Um, and also being having a certain level of personal organization. A lot of times, um, you know, I'm connecting the dots. I'm connecting people. So and being able to handle multiple problems at a time. And also being able to make a decision maker. Just because someone is at a project management level doesn't mean that they're not making decisions. You know, how are you going to actually drive the product? And if you know code, that's always helpful. I would never turn away someone that knew code. And if they knew some type of basic um, design, I Photoshop is, you know, a pretty given, um, would be helpful. And... Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, I feel like I'm. if I had to peel back, like, what is it I actually do? I'm like, wow, what would, what would be the, like, kind of, you know, um, they don't necessarily have to have a web background, but I, I'm always fascinated when people come from different industries and especially, like, if they come from design or if they want to get into this, like, what's the driver for it? Right. So having a, a why. Yeah. Why do you want to be in product? Yeah. Why do you want to be in product? Like I got into product because it was frustrating with the tools that I was re- using and I had no idea that it was going to grow into what it is where I am today. But at the time I was just like, I want to know how this works, you know, and I was tired of people telling me yeah, that. You, I- were spiting, <laughs> you were like learning out of spite. I was like, no, I was like, what do you mean? No, I won't understand. <laughs> what is the... You know, so for learning on the job, Mm -hmm. for you personally, what's kind of the hardest lesson that you had to learn on the job or a skill that you kind of came right up against and thought, well, I need to bolster that? Um, Definitely. It was a back end um, and architecting on the CMS. I definitely had an understanding of like fields and mapping and that kind of thing, but I didn't understand... um, 
<laughs> ironically from like an image asset from compressing when you have all of these kind of listed in a field and you're adding all these images that basically the page, it increases the page of the form and it just causes more problems and connecting to like APIs. And, you know, I was pretty in my stride of just kind of working on multiple projects with my head down and not really having that space to think and not necessarily having guidance. And I remember on one project, and this was just like a marketing to kind of announce that, you know, we were in this um, OTT space and devices. And it was this one project and it wasn't going well. And I could not figure out, I just like was in a box. Like I couldn't figure out and understand what the devs were talking, the project, the scrum master, none of it was making sense. And we essentially got to launch and you know, we, we got to launch, it wasn't great, it was late. And um, just to create this one series of, you know, to manage devices, with which was a promotional, wasn't even actually managing, it was like to tell people, hey, you can watch this on your device. It was something like 48 assets. And that was a big pill for me to swallow because it never occurred to me that I should be auto-sizing down or I should have one image source. and. It was like in my face, everybody was looking at this form and they were like, why did you build it this way? And I did not have an answer. And I just was like, well, I counted for all the images. And in my efforts to just go, go, go and push the product and make launch into this date, I lacked the thinking part of like the whole operational standpoint of does this make sense? And so that was one of the most frustrating lessons, but it was one of those things that now when I build something, it's like, what are we gonna do with the images? Because then that takes longer for the page to load. That's longer, harder on the devices. And even though some of them are specific and Roku has different ones and Samsung and you know, it can be all these things. But if you're not thinking strategically and logically, even when you're building something, it's like you're shooting yourself in the foot before you even got out the door. So that was one of the really hard lessons that I had to learn and then I had to go back and fix it because it was my bed and I had to lay in it. So, and that was my, that was my project to swallow that I had to figure out. So how do you, you know, that's a very specific, I mean, applicable certainly in your background and what you're doing here. So how do you, because the problem is you don't know what you don't know. Right. So is it just, What's the advice there? Is there advice there? Well, I think the advice there is, you know, don't be so gung-ho to get to launch that you're making that you're making decisions that are going to hurt you in the long run. And all I was concentrated on was getting to launch. And if I had consulted maybe a senior product manager or even consulted some of the devs, like one thing I have noticed with devs is that they may not say anything, but if you ask them, then they have a whole bunch to say, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so true. I had to be the driver in that. So my advice would be when I'm seeing these things that I kind of was like fuzzy, I was just like, well, that's going to be a lot of images. And then I kind of was like, ah, but, you know, no one said anything and I need to get to launch and... Eh, I guess I guess it will be okay. And in some magical world in my mind, I thought it would just be okay. It's just like when we have bugs and you're like, oh, those bugs will go away. They'll be okay. This stuff doesn't go away. You have to confront it. If you don't know it, speak up and ask someone. And even if it's not necessarily like 
your direct report that can handle it. That goes back to the whole thing about building your network. Sometimes in organizations, no one, a lot of people may not have your back. So you may have to have a resource outside just to pick someone's brain and be like, hey, I want to bounce something off your head. Am, does this make sense? It feels a little bit fuzzy to me. I, I need help. And at, at one point in my career, I just was afraid to ask because I was always like, nope, I got this, you know, project management 101, I'm doing it, you know, and I have this little checkbox, but I, I didn't necessarily think of the bigger picture. What about falling in love with what you do? Oh, you God. love your job. Yes, I do. So what is your favorite thing about product management that makes you be so in love with it? I love that I get to see stuff built and I get to touch it and play with it and then I can go and show it to people and then people can use it. I mean, I love that part of it. Like I definitely started in film and entertainment and um, I still get to make things. So it's an execution of my mind in a way that I didn't necessarily envision. So for me, I love that I saw this when it was wireframes and then now it's this real thing and it exists and it started back in the back of my head so that part i love hands down that it's there you yeah, know we're builders yeah we are builders. builders i feel like or carpenters <laughs> <laughs> or digital carpenters digital carpenters <laughs> yeah anything in your podcast book resource library that you want to throw out to our resources yes, to say check I, this out? I, this is definitely something from, I'm going to have to, because I always mess up the the person's name who I downloaded it from a while ago, but a lot of times um, in the like like the busyness and the excitement of like, oh, I want to build something, you know, I want to just get down um, the product requirements or, of course, my computer doesn't want to load. Um, <laughs> I want to just get something down. And a couple years ago, I found, came across this website, and I believe it's Roman Pinchler. And he had this really basic, it's an um, Adobe file, and you can edit it, and it's a product vision board. And because at first it was like we were and at Fox we were always transitioning I mean we were in one minute we would be in um, Team Forge and then we moved to AHA and then we JIRA and you know after a while it's like all these places to manage things but what when we're drilling down to this like what is it that I'm actually building and this was like one of these like simple PDFs. It's a product vision board. It's like five basic questions that you should answer before you even get to personas, before you even get to requirements, before you even get to wireframing. It just really helps me simplify everything and what it, and I should be able to explain in one sentence what am I doing. Awesome. Yeah, when you uh, all We'll put it up on the site. Yes, it's um, it to us Roman um, Pitchler, and he's the creator of Product Vision Board. And I do like um, Social Code for kind of keeping up on news. I love LinkedIn because I'm not going to read a bunch of newsletters, but when people tag stuff, it's always cool to kind of see what kind of things people are following. And um, Product Hunt is always a classic, fun favorite. And um, Benedict's. Um, newsletter which is easy enough that you can't go wrong with that and right now I'm reading um, the book Hooked which I'm sure yeah. is another like do we all sound like broken records no no, no, no. <laughs> we actually uh, we just did an interview with Nirayam oh. we're gonna be publishing and we're gonna be 
uh, doing a giveaway. Oh. We got a bunch of copies of Hooked. We're big fans. Yeah. I'm a, I, I give it a copy to all of my students. Okay. okay. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. So you're just into it. I just into it and I actually on my commute um, listen to the Audible version and just to keep my brain fresh because we are, you know, I'm a creature of habit and I can always think that my perspective is right um, because, oh, I've had all these other successful launches so I must be doing something right. But it's not always about right. It's like, what can I be doing better or what are the things that I'm missing? Well, Beachbody On Demand is a great, my opinion, of course, a great product to hook people on. Yes. You know, Nier talks about this in the book, The Manipulation Matrix in particular, and this idea that, okay, so now that there's kind of a framework for how to infuse into the DNA of a product a way to make people addicted to it right how do you then ethically steer toward good and and away from evil and and you know part of that is do i use the product myself and and does it help people i mean what you guys do here at beachbody does help people. it does help people i mean for the people who can stand it because the programs are hard (laughs) the programs are hard i did not know that before i started how hard the programs were i definitely was you know into working out but I hadn't worked out at this level ever in my life. So I've definitely, but the products work and I've seen the transformations just in coworkers and that makes me feel good where like I know that people are using this and that it can transform their life and it can make them healthier. Awesome. Yeah. Kasha, thank you so much thank for you. talking with us. Yes. It's been great to have you on the show. Yes, thank you. You're listening to 100 p.m., the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.